Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. It's me. Hi. We're back for season six. Oh my God. Season six of Red Rock Relationships. And of course, I'm your host. I'm thrilled to be back. Um, as I sat in between seasons during our off season and debated what the hell I want to talk about moving forward, I realized that we've pretty much gone over everything there is to go over in terms of like the basics. And so rather than sit you here and read you excerpts of my dissertation, I've decided to take a more hashtag active learning, active life approach to this podcast. And I am starting that in this season. So what we're going to be doing this season is taking a look at some of the most well-known and relevant celebrity relationships and using communication theory to unpack them. And in order to help me kick this off, we have season five guest, Dr. Robert Hall, joining us. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's good to be back. Well, I needed you specifically for this episode because uh, for those in the audience who are not Swifties and who did not catch that Easter egg I dropped to lead us off, we are talking about the lore the legacy, the saga that the is one, the only Blondie, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, and in order to help unpack her series of relationships, of which the Taylor Swift wiki lists no less than sixteen, um, in order to do that, we're going to use an old but gold theory, the original relational dialectics theory. So, Robbie. Folks know a little bit about you because you've been on this show before. I'm not going to make you reintroduce yourself, but we've actually never talked about RDT, which to me is crazy. Can you take a moment to introduce our listeners to the overall tenets of the theory and like what a dialectical tension is? Yeah, so RDT is a theory largely developed by Leslie Baxter, um, but in the early stages was Baxter Montgomery, taking the work of this Russian philosopher dude named uh, Mikhail Bakhtin, and he wrote all about what was called dialogism, um, what was attributed to his work. And he viewed dialectics and these dialectical tensions in terms of a circle metaphor, where we had the centripetal forces that uh, push us together or pull us together, and we have the centrifugal that pull us apart. And Baxter continued that work and um, showing how this is present in our relationships. Big idea of the theory, our relationships are always in flux, right? They're never static, they're constantly dynamic. And meaning-making in these relationships is a struggle between these competing discourses, and discourses being systems of meaning that exist. And we'll talk about some of the tensions today specifically. Um, I know we're going to get into like novelty and predictability, Mm -hmm. right? So we want in our relationships things that are predictable. We want to be able to know that when I wake up in the morning, my partner is going to be there, or when I come home from work, my dog is going to be excited to see me, right? We want that predictability predictability, but we also want the novelty. Like if my partner came home from work with flowers, that's unexpected, right? So those constantly exist in our relationships among many different ways. Right. And in the example that you gave, it's also important to remember that we also don't want too much of either one. Too much predictability, that's going to bore us to death. Too much novelty, our partner's calling us and being like, I went to Vegas, see in three weeks, can't handle that. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that's, that's a really good job of, uh, describing the very most basics of the theory. So let's talk about Tay-Tay. Mm-hmm. 
Taylor Swift has a reputation for writing songs about exes. I think unless you've been living under a rock, you know this. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, the website I'm using is called Swiftopedia, which yes. is a very fun pun. Mm -hmm. Swiftopedia lists 14 exes and one non-ex. Um, Adam Young of Owl City, who they had some back and forth, but never officially dated. Enchanted is my favorite Taylor Swift song. Oh, there so. you go. Yes. Now, this makes me think of the dialectical tension that is revealment concealment. Do I tell the world about my relationship? Mm -hmm. Do I keep it to myself? This is what would be known as an external rather than an internal dilation, how the couple interacts with the world. Mm -hmm. So my question, how, if at all, do you think that these episodes of revealment, right, through songwriting, impact current or future relationships in Taylor's life? It's that's kind of the never ending question, right? A lot of her critics kind of talk about this is, you know, all of her songs about exes or whatever. Um, also, the idea that how could you have stable relationships in the future if that person has the potential of being in a song later? Yeah, I don't want to get dragged by a million Swifties. Yeah, if, if we're and, and if you look at those relationships, they're all so short, but we'll get to that later. So with it, I think that it's important to note that one of the most famous examples is Dear John, right? Mm, John, Mayer. John Mayer. John mm Mayer. -mm -mm. But there's also more to that than just that relationship of people also don't really like John Mayer, especially nowadays. He's known to be a predator. Yeah, exactly. And um, even with Jake Gyllenhaal, with some of the stuff from Red, mm -hmm. people are a little more forgiving of him. Uh, regarding Enchanted and Owl City, that song, it's not a drag of a song. True. Right? It's more of a celebration. It was enchanting to meet you. Mm. Or I was enchanted to meet you. So it it exists in that sense of it's not always, I think the songwriting is not always going to be negative, despite some of the more well-known or ones that get mentioned more often are mm. a little more negative. Uh, if, especially if you listen to the 10-minute ver version of All Too Well. Mm -hmm. Oh, such a bop. But <laughs> there it's... I, I see the reveal conceal as to... Even we have the five-minute version. That was more um, due to the music studio's kind of like saying you need to make this shorter, right? Right. Um, but when we got the 10-minute version, a lot more things were revealed that mm -hmm. tied to a lot more lore. And so it didn't seem as if there were necessarily reservations from Taylor to withhold that. Right. Um, but what we see, especially across, like, I have an entire list, I think, of 18 different um, artists that have breakup songs um, that were popular. Nice. And so, and everything from uh, Beyonce, Kelly Clarkson, Frankie Valli and Four Seasons, oh. Bonnie Tyler, All American Rejects. Like, uh huh. Right? It's, breakups are universal. Yes. And so to talk about a breakup publicly is not as threatening as it is to talk about maybe incredibly intimate specifics of the breakup. Fair. Um, which Taylor sometimes does, which is a little more risky. And it does show more vulnerability, which could make people uncomfortable. Oh, but it can also increase that sort of like parasocial Oh, and it does. Interaction that's, in a good way, in a good way. Yeah, that's kind of that other tension mm -hmm. there is the connection autonomy, right? I feel more connected or I feel more distance. I don't want to join that vulnerability. I want... If I'm resisting it, right? I'm right. my own person. But it also is like, oh my gosh, I've felt this too, mm -hmm. right? And that can make me feel part of something, which is a lot of what Swifties, uh, the Swifties are like for that is, yes, this is a universal experience and she captured it well. 
it's relatable. And I think yes. that that's one of her best qualities. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, Let's talk a little bit then about the duration of these relationships and predictability novelty. So in my research, I was able to notice a trend, which is that other than Calvin Harris, which was a relationship that lasted like 18 months, and her current significant other, Joe Alwyn, other than those two, most of her relationships are really just a few months young. Like they, they, they never really got to progress into that stage where you can develop true intimacy, interdependence, and closeness with another person. Now, this makes me think about predictability novelty in a really, really big way. So to what extent do we think that these, uh, I'm going to use the word hasty, these, these hasty breakups are nested within an imbalance of predictability and novelty. Or, and to what end is it, uh, you know, additional intervening factors? Yeah, we can, we can take some of the, even the lyrics. So if we look at 10 Minute All Too Well, and it's, it's not, I don't know if it's ever been officially confirmed that it's about Jake Gyllenhaal, but we are like, that's about Jake Gyllenhaal. There's no way it's not about yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal. We, we see like, um, in the lyrics, she talks about not showing up on her 21st birthday and she's crying at her house waiting for him, mm -hmm. right? Um, short relationship, the expectation there, like predictability, you're going to be at my birthday party. Mm -hmm. You don't show up. That is not a novelty I wanted. Right. Right. And so that would lead to a breakup is that my expectations for the relationship were not met in terms of what we do for each other. Yeah, and that's an important point because we can see, I think, theoretically, the overlap that dialectics theory has with other communication theories like expectancy violations theory. And I mm -hmm. think that that's one of the most useful elements of this theory is its ability to provide like heuristic advancements theoretically and also overlap with other extant research. Like it, it, the, the, the two marry quite right. well. Right. I'm a, I'm a privacy theorist, like mm -hmm. reveal, conceal. It's right there for me too. Yep. I'm an uncertainty person. Yes. Pre predictability novelty. Exactly. And so we, we see that in just Taylor's relationships is also we have to think about the age, right? Being right. 18 to I think 21 is what she mentioned for Jake Gyllenhaal. That's a pretty unstable time of life. There mm -hmm. we're really finding, um, and research continually shows the autonomy connection, right? Right. Uh, establishing our own self, going through the emerging adult stage, and then also still wanting some type of connection, whether that's with family, forming our own unique, genuine connections, and experimenting with that. Mm -hmm. We may have some idea of what uh, we want from these relationships, right? Um, there might be something like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have my first love. It's going to be like this. It's going to be like this. But then it's not, right? Um, I still want to be my own independent self, but I want this relationship. But also this is not what I predicted and it's I'm unsure what to do. So the tensions play off of each other too in all of mm. our relationships. They aren't isolated. Right. Interesting. I When I think about like the extent to which Taylor Swift is, I, I want to bring it back to what we were just talking about with relatability, mm -hmm. because like Lord knows that the experience of millions and millions of other 18 to 21 year olds reflect that of Taylor. And if we talk about like the 14 relationships that she's had, I, I mean, this is over the course of what, a decade? Mm -hmm. So I, I can't help but think about other emerging adults who report being in a similar amount, maybe not quite as many, but a similar amount of short and to a lesser extent long-term relationships. Like, is this not just part of being a, a, an emerging adult? And, I, and that she's bringing light to. That right. We and, don't always want to talk about in-depth detail. Right. And, and, and she's not even just doing it in the sense of like, oh, she's an artist talking about this experience. Like, she is living it. And I think that like, if you get to some of the nastier parts of the internet, they really talk about Taylor in a way that makes her sound like she is getting with all these famous men to advance her career. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, to advance her career. 
or unable to be because she's just a woman. She's so emotional. She can't decide who or what she wants. And it's like, aren't like not not to like get into like the whole manosphere, but like, aren't you the same person who brags about his body count? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just very interesting to me to see the the way that she has perhaps unintentionally forced a conversation about like what it means to be a young adult and 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 the the nature of having multiple relationships and how yeah this is something that we could have predicted using extant theory like this mm -hmm. is not a particularly unique experience we just view it as one because it's happening to a celebrity yeah and it's very much in the public sphere and she's not afraid to write what she experiences um I mean, I even remember my sisters going to their concert. I think it was either the Fearless or Speak Now era, mm. and they loved Taylor. And I remember my sister specifically saying, she writes music for me, mm. right? She At that time, she was like 13 or 14, and Taylor was still writing songs about being a teenager yeah. around those times. And so it's the, like, uh, the Pollyanna of the world, but then not finding out it's actually all that great, but mm -hmm. sometimes it is. And so it's very much in that experimental phase of life. Yeah. Of showing us what that's actually like. Okay. 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 So uh, to that end, it's important to note that Taylor Swift is super famous for her music, mm -hmm. but she's also famous for being famously in relationships. Now, of course, her current relationship is like six years old, right? So we're kind mm -hmm. of past this stage where she's like jumping between significant others. Um, but if we're going to talk about connection autonomy... My my next question is, how do we see that dialectic appearing, like sort of across her career, um, as she tried to initiate or maintain relationships? How do we see it now? Like how how do we feel like she has evolved or made use of this tension, blossoming from an emerging adult into a full blown grown up? Yeah, I actually have a couple of quotes about this from oh, yeah. uh, first from Joe actually Joe, Joe Allen. Oh, Joe Allen. I thought you were going to say yes. Joe Jonas. No, he did an interview with E, um, mm. and he said to be guarded in private, it's more of a response than anything else, and that we live in a culture that's increasingly intrusive. The more we give, and frankly, even if you don't give it, something will be taken. Mm. And so the decision to be more private in their relationship, he even addresses is a response to the ever increasing amount of tabloids wanting to know about details of the information that are more private. And Swift even said she doesn't want a storyline tabloid relationship with Joe. She wants mm. it to be as close to, as she put it, real life um, and not something that's just all over the news press. And so she and Joe have made the intentional decision to be more private about their relationship right? Um, and not going out and celebrating things together in the public eye or doing whatever they need to to try to be the more private citizen. Interesting. Interesting. And, and like that the celebrity really does inject like steroids into that situation. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think it's like moderately relatable. Mm -hmm. Like when it really does all come back to this idea of of being something that other people have experienced or want to experience or can imagine experiencing because, you know, in reality, we all do balance connection autonomy and we, we do it at the individual level with our partner. We want to connect with someone else and we want to be independent from them, but then we do it externally too, mm -hmm. right? We want to be a unit. We want to be seen as individuals. We want to connect with other couples. We want to be our own thing. And so I think that that's a really interesting way of conceptualizing that theoretical tenet. 
right? They absolutely want to, like, Tirsa wants to be relatable to her fans, but she also wants her own life. So that's that centripetal, centrifugal force of pushing and pulling us away from one another and with each other Yeah. Um, at the same time. And then also with her relationship of wanting to be, you know, in an autonomous relationship, but still connected with Joe, but still having to make adjustments so that it's not as seen mm -hmm. so that they can have the autonomy and connection together. So there's a lot at play there with it. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are we ready to take a hard left turn? I am ready for a hard left turn. We have to talk about Gaylor. We have to. So there's a, for those who are unaware, there is a sizable contingency of Taylor Swift fans who have now become obsessed with her um, sexual orientation. Specifically, they believe that she is non-heterosexual. Some people would say closeted lesbian. Other people would say, well, no, she's bisexual or pansexual or something that's not heterosexual. And they argue that although Taylor has never like publicly spoken about her orientation, they argue that she hides a series of Easter eggs in a variety of songs. So using the uh, magic of radio, I'd love to play a couple of clips that illustrate some of these clips, uh, th these sound bites that are considered Easter eggs. Are we ready, Sean? Can I get the first one, please? And I think you should come There you go. So right there, then you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. Now, as I'm sure we all know, being closeted is an allegory for being non-straight and, and hiding that part of your identity. Mm. Can we get the second one, Sean? Cross, in the dim light. They say what a sad sight. I swear you could hear a hairpin drop right when I felt the moment stop. Okay, that one's a little more subtle. There is a, a, a another allegory related to the notion of dropping a hairpin, and I'm going to explain this as best as I know how to, which is that what would happen is if two individuals who were closeted were interested in engaging in non-hetero activity, one of them would drop their hairpin, and the other would come pick it up and find them in private and give it to them to let them know that they were interested. So this is another one of these um, Easter eggs, right, that, that folks look for. So... Mm -hmm. From a, a dialectical standpoint, yes, there there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I, I'd like to start with the uh, perhaps I'm going to use the word invasion of her privacy, and mm -hmm. although yes, she's writing these lyrics, are we looking at folks who are looking for something that's not there? Does it matter? And you know, can we make assumptions about a person's orientation? based on some lyrics that they've written and not any public declarations? These are all really good questions. So I want to say first that it matters. Uh, we know representation matters, right? right? In mainstream, it matters that we see someone who's like us. Mm -hmm. um, it allows people who are more disenfranchised or marginalized to aspire to greatness and have more positive well-being outcomes. But in kind of an opposition of that tension is assigning something to someone that doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that or someone who doesn't want to be assigned, even if they do. Yes. And so it's a very much a privacy issue of, yeah, they're Easter eggs. But every time there's been Easter eggs and Taylor stuff, it's been about her own content. It's been about her music, her future right. music, like right. seeing the 89 Benz for the red um, 
for the whole music video, um, live video, that the other Easter eggs and music that come into the future, they're about the content. They're not necessarily about her revealing some sort of major personal thing. Super important yes. caveat. Yeah. Yes. Um, not that not saying that it couldn't be, right? right? There's always the possibility it could be. But what should matter here is that for um, my, me, myself, being part of the LGBTQ community, is that to have someone, in essence, outing me for something I wrote without me having say in that is a major no, no, no. Like, yeah. Don't do that. Huge violation. Yeah. And it's kind of the same idea with Sean Mendez, too, of people trying to mm-hmm. assign sexuality to someone who has not claimed that sexuality. We're doing it on the behaviors of things that they're saying. And yes, there might be clues, quote unquote, or Easter eggs. But they haven't revealed that information. They may not even be concealing it, in all honesty, Mm. because it may not be there. Right. Um, I think that's a really important point. That, like, for example, we know that Taylor Swift, her songs are often a collage of experience and amalgamation, sometimes based on her life and sometimes based on fictional stories. Mm -hmm. So when she says things like, you won't have to cry or hide in the closet, who are we to declare that she's talking about herself or someone who she was with who might also be closeted. Mm -hmm. She could be talking about a friend who's in a relationship with someone who's closeted. We don't know that. Yeah, let's look. I mean, let's look at You Need to Calm Down, right? Mm -hmm. That song was very much like an anthem for the queer community, right? It was very explicitly had uh, drag queens in the music video, had queer artists in the uh, music video. And the lyric video had when you you need to be glad, it's G-L-A-A-Ds for the organization. She's an ally, right? And she might be talking for the person in the closet, might be talking to a friend, mm-hmm. um, saying things like a hairpin drop. This is making it relatable to her queer fans that she knows she has. Right. Right. She is songwriter of the decade for a reason, right? She knows how to appeal to her fans and showing and learning that she has this fan base and people that she supports has perhaps allowed her to adapt her music to be just as supportive. We see clever pronoun usage of wanting her midnights as it's sung from the female perspective. Right. Right. That allows those who may have the, who may be lesbian, bisexual women to have a song that sounds like them. Right. Talking the song Betty, which is supposedly sung from a man's perspective about Betty. What a silly song. Can I just... I love Betty, I don't know where it went wrong. You had sex with someone else. What do you mean you don't know where it went wrong? I, I know where I it went wrong, song. and I'm just listening to the song. I, I, I just I just had so a thought. Much. I just needed yes. to, to voice that thought. Yes. That's not against Taylor. That's about James, right, is the name of the person? I think so. Yeah, yeah. that's that's against that James. I'm reclaiming my name. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's important, is that it's... Again, there's always the possibility, perhaps, sure. right? But... Until she tells us, this is kind of an important distinction, is that sometimes our information, when it's revealed, this is going more CPM than RDT, but with our information, Mm -hmm. there's the implicit and explicit revealing, right? I can tell you I'm gay, Mm -hmm. right? I can also maybe do behaviors that imply that, right? That might be more representative, like maybe I'm representing, like with my rainbow, even outfit today. Mm -hmm. Or painting your nails. Or painting my nails. But when I paint my nails. you paint your nails. I'm as close to you can get to heterosexual while still operating under the presumption that heterosexuality is a myth. Right. Right? And so me painting my nails is in no way an expression of my orientation. I, I just like it. To me, it's like decorating my skin, like getting a tattoo or wearing jewelry. So it's an it's an interesting thing that we're doing. Um, I've fallen into the gay lore trap before, too. And then Same. I did some reflection and I was like, OK, me, myself, would I want this? No. 
Um, and I am gay. So mm-hmm. with that, we see the centripetal and centrifugal forces here too. Bring it back to RDT is that we're trying to use these marginalized voices on the outside of the circle to have a centralized voice and a centralized voice in pop music is Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. right? Incredibly well known. Having that representation in that person who we would identify with allows us to have a more central place in the discourse. And so she's trying to, I think one thing she may be trying to do is still allow that discourse to be heard, allow through clever pronoun usage, which upon reflecting on this podcast, I thought that was genius of her being able to do that is really important to her fans and maybe not to her. She may, she has a great relationship with her fans, We'll save Ticketmaster for another time. Mm-hmm. But she may be doing this to show, hey, I hear you. I'm listening to you. Here's something for you. Yeah, and that's that's. I think that's such a good note to end on, which we must because we're out of time. <laughs> but that's such a good note to end on because the whole Gaylor thing does not have to have a messy ending. Mm-hmm. Like, her... fans and her are notorious for messy endings. Mm-hmm. This does not have to be one of them. So on that note... Um, Dr. Hall, thank you so much for helping us unpack this. Awesome. I'm glad I could and always happy to talk to you, Swift. We have six more relationships to go over over the course of the semester, and they're going to get messier than this one. So I hope y'all stick around. Uh, But until then, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. We are back for season six. Next episode is our 50th. We did it. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.